0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Jade Third Eye podcast. This is a podcast in a series of informational sessions on all things AML, CFT related, including best practice, the latest information, technology and interviews with experts. Today, we're lucky to be joined by Martin Dilley. Martin is an AML auditor, advisor and expert who has consulted full time as an AML CFT specialist since 2012. He has assisted hundreds of entities across every sector of capture through the provision of audit, consulting, and training services in New Zealand and Australia, as well as Samoa and Vanuatu. Martin, thank you so much for being here and welcome.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Great to have you. Um, So today we're talking with Martin about regulatory reporting. This is obviously a really important component of the AML-CFT obligations in all of the jurisdictions that we serve. And to be clear, when I say reporting for the purposes of this podcast, I'm talking about meeting the obligation that reporting entities have for submitting reports to regulators or supervisors or financial intelligence units. Uh, for example, there's a requirement to submit reports for cash transactions and foreign transactions. These are called IFDs and TTRs in Australia, and they're often referred to as PTRs in New Zealand. Um, And of course, we're also talking about suspicious activity reports that are such a crucial part of the AML-CFT regime. So from there, Martin, can you tell us why are these reports so important in the bigger picture and how are they used?
1: I think to understand the importance of the reporting, we have to go right back to the purpose of the legislation. And if you look back there, the key purpose there is to detect and deter money laundering and the financing of terrorism. So we want to make sure that we're doing everything we can to stop money laundering and financing of terrorism occurring in our society. Then another key purpose, of course, is to facilitate that cooperation between the reporting entities. So that's your financial institutions and now your law firms, your real estate um, and your accountants, as, w- as well as the, uh, the supervisors. And so that will be for New Zealand purposes, the Department of Internal Affairs, Reserve Bank, Financial Markets Authority, and various government agencies with a particular focus on those in the law enforcement and regulatory space. So a lot of people often think about uh, the New Zealand police as being the key one, but of course we also need to include the IRD, customs, immigration in those as well. So as part of that cooperation, this is really about getting good quality intelligence through to the government, through to those agencies so that we can use that to detect that money laundering, that financing of terrorism, and the police can use it to stop it. So, when you make a report, those go through to the FIU, uh, which does sit within the police um, for New Zealand purposes. Uh, But those reports are then uh, sent out to the various relevant government areas. So, if it's relevant for tax, it'll go over to IRD. If it's relevant for immigration or customs, it'll go across to them as well. But of course, those reports will also sit there as a repository of information so that if the police did need to look into something they could search that and find the relevant information they wanted to get so really reports are absolutely vital to this whole framework working at the end of the day if we don't have the good quality reporting then the agencies do not have good quality intelligence to work off
0: so for our reporting entities is there any area of the legislation that has had any significant change from you know 2020 or in recent years that are worth highlighting
1: Uh, Look, not so much coming through in 2020, uh, but uh, in, in the scheme of things, some pretty recent changes still. So one of the key things I always like to restate is there was a change in the legislation from suspicious transaction reporting through to suspicious activity reporting. So that came in at the same time as phase two was being implemented, and they needed to do that to capture the wider range of services that would now be captured under the Act. But entities should still be aware that if you look at the difference between transaction reporting and activity reporting, it's a slightly broader reading of it. So you still need to be conscious that it's not just transactions that you might do. It could be proposed transactions um, if someone's seeking a service from you or even if they've just made an inquiry to you in relation in relation to getting a service. So it's a much I think it's a much broader interpretation. I think uh, Financial institutions in particular, they've tended to take a broader reading of it anyway, um, so for them it wasn't much of a change. But I think when it comes down to it, you should still approach it with that same purpose in mind, which is if you think the information is going to be relevant and it fits into this, let's get that information through to uh, the relevant agencies so that they can use it. So that's one bit the, to keep people looking at that. And look, I'm still coming across programs where they still refer to suspicious transactions rather than suspicious activity. So if that's the case with any of the listeners, they need to go away and update that pretty quickly. Um, Look, also in the scheme of things, PTRs are pretty recent developments as well. Of course, they've been enforced. uh, The FDS and TTRs in Australia have been enforced for much longer, and the um, the New Zealand banks that are owned by Australian parents were very familiar with that process. But PTRs really only came into force in New Zealand in November 2017. So what what I'm seeing at the moment, though, is the, the round of audits last year, we're starting to see how reporting entities were actually able to deal with the PTR reporting obligation.
0: And is there anything that's expected in 2021 that you think is especially significant?
1: There are some changes from a New Zealand side of, of things. Uh, there are some updated regulations that are supposed to be coming into force in the middle of the year. So I think they're targeted for June roughly at this point. There are a few things in there that will have some flow-on effects for the reporting area. I think the key change that's coming is that there is an increase to the audit timeframe. So that's expected to move from two years to three years um, for uh, for reporting entities. That obviously affects all obligations. However, With reporting being one of the key ones, it'll be something that firms have to think about what additional assurance should they be doing internally to make sure that they are meeting their reporting obligations um, when you have a longer time frame. Uh, There's otherwise a couple of minor cleanups, just some clarifications around record keeping and the application of um, wire transfers. I I think those are useful clarifications, but I don't think they'll have any material effect on the, the reporting obligations. I still think there's probably some further guidance that needs to come out around that application of uh, wire transfer rules and PTR and that effect on PTRs. Um, there is one, once again, one sensible clarification coming through, which is essentially an exemp- uh, You get an exemption um, where, if if you uh, if you receive a, um, a commissioner's order, so from the police, essentially requesting information about a customer of yours. One of the difficulties previously was that one of the triggers for doing enhanced customer due diligence, where you have to then obtain and verify source of funds, source of wealth information from your customer, is where there is essentially what could be suspicious activity on the account. So the danger here was always that once you got that report, what that that order was that essentially you would trigger that and then need to be meeting your an enhanced customer due diligence obligation. At the same time, not wanting to tip off the customer that that's the case. So what they've put through now is that essentially there'll be a 30 day exemption once when you receive that order from having to meet that obligation. Um, so look, nothing nothing otherwise too much in, in terms of direct effect but sort of flow on effects from, um, from other areas that surround the reporting.
0: And so what do you typically see in your work with reporting entities in this area that you think, you know, points to some of the biggest risk that that reporting entities have? What kinds of problems do you tend to see or advice are you often giving to the entities that you work with?
1: Yeah, I think if you're thinking about your biggest risk for AML, you'd have to be putting um, the failure to report suspicious activity in there as one of the top ones. it certainly carries one of the highest penalties under the Act. Uh, for individuals that can be up to uh, two years in prison, there's also fines for individuals up to 300,000, entities up to 5 million. So th- it's quite a serious piece and you can see because it's so important that the police are getting these good quality reports, a failure to do it is is a very serious breach. We've seen that in the cases that the DIA have taken in New Zealand, so they've one of the key things they always go for is a failure to report suspicious activity. But if you look at the cases in Australia, the Westpac case was picked up um, more so on the IFTI and TTR side. Failures in systems there where um, I think about 19 and a half million FDs were missed and 175,000 TTRs were missed by Westpac. Now they ended up receiving a 1.3 billion dollar fine uh, which is by far and away the largest fine in Australia. So, that gives you some sense as to how serious the, re- the reporting is taken. Um, but, what am I seeing? The the biggest risks they, the entities have here is a, a really a lack of clear process and controls around the different stages of reporting. For suspicious activity reporting, that really breaks down into detection. So, how are you going, how are you, are you detecting um, these? your investigation stage. So what happens once it gets escalated? How do you determine whether or not it's suspicious? And then your disposition. So once you make a decision as to whether or not you need to file, how do you do that? How do you close off the alert? Do you need to mark for any additional follow-up for um, for the customer?
0: And do you think that automation can help reporting entities with this obligation and if yes in what ways do you think specifically it's most useful
1: yeah look i think automation is a a key and, and certainly with the once you get to a certain size of firm i think automation has to be uh has to be absolutely necessary because at some point there's going to be too many of these to manually do um but for example your ptr reporting picking up as i said before it's not an investigation piece If someone has done one of these transactions, you are required to file the report. Of course, depending on the nature of the transaction, you might also need to put that into your suspicious activity reporting as well. Uh, That might be especially true with large cash transactions, might also naturally need to be investigated. But these should be quite mechanical and quite simple. Um, So it's it's something that I always try and discourage the compliance officers getting too caught up in. Um, often the finance team should be dealing with these things and filing these things. But once you've got it set up and and you're tracking these um, transactions, it's something that many systems can just pick out automatically and in some cases even file the report directly with very minimal manual intervention required. And that's really where you want to get to because if it's a mechanical aspect, let's get that done very quickly and save time to do the more... um, time-consuming investigations for your suspicious activity, for example. Any tool, make sure you're getting your maximum value from it.
0: Great. Thank you so much for all of your advice today. It was great talking with you.
1: Thanks, Ashley.